Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is brought to you by Scoped Vision. Y'all probably know of PhoneScope by now, right? It's that technology that allows you to hook up an adapter to your cell phone and then place that on your spotting scope or binos, and you can record what you're seeing through your optic. Well, Scoped Vision is the evolution of that technology, and now you can actually record your hunt through your rifle scope. You've got an adapter, it attaches to your scope, and you record right there with your cell phone. It's awesome. It's scoped vision. You can find it at phonescope.com. I was a young troubadour when I wrote in on a song. And I'll be an old troubadour when I'm gone. Good morning, good morning, good morning, troubadour. George Strait kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to our longtime title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as our friends over at Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, as they are and have been for a long time uh, so instrumental in keeping our show on the air. So we appreciate them. And I appreciate you for being here. Uh, We've got a good one lined up for you today, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up Stanley Thermos. Maybe you spike it with some of Grandpappy's cough syrup. Maybe you don't. Hell, it's probably your grandfather's thermos. Anyway, passed it down to you. It's still got mud caked on it from the 2013 duck season. Don't wash it off. That builds character. Don't rinse it out. It's comparable to an old cast iron skillet. The more you use it, the better things taste. So whatever the case, get comfortable because we're ready to get going here. And off the top, we'll be joined by a longtime friend of ours, um, probably one of the more regular guests that we've had on the show over the past, gosh, almost 10 years now. Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms will join us. You see, back in 1919, Mossberg made a name for themselves with the first firearm that they ever produced. But you might be surprised to know it wasn't a rifle or a shotgun. But they got out of that market very quickly. But here we are 100 years later, and Mossberg has put out a very similar product to the one they did in 1919. So to hear more about uh, that first gun and the one that they just released at SHOT Show, Uh, Linda will join us, and it's always great to hear the details behind one of America's most iconic family-owned and operated businesses. A hundred years in existence for Mossberg Firearms. So, cool stuff coming up there. Then, we will spend the bulk of the presentation visiting with our buddy Richard Cheatham. He is the executive director of the DSC Foundation. That is the charitable arm of Dallas Safari Club. And man, oh man, we've got a lot to discuss with Richard, including the Pakistan Markor hunt that made international headlines for all the wrong reasons. We'll break that down, uh, get into how sustainable use hunting really impacts third world communities. There's a lot more that goes into it than people think. Uh, Then we will shift gears and talk about Botswana's elephant problem. You You wouldn't think that African countries have elephant problems because all you hear about in the news 
is how hunters are the worst people on the face of God's green earth because we will kill and shoot and then consume an elephant. Well, when you ban hunting, bad things happen. That's what's happened in Botswana. So Richard and I will get into Botswana's plan to deal with a vast overpopulation of elephants, including, hey, let's turn them into dog food, right? Come on, man. Seriously? That's one of the things that's on the table. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. Another species here back on the home front in North America has been literally in the crosshairs over the past week as the Trump administration has plans to delist one of our apex predators, the gray wolf in the lower 48. Good, bad, or indifferent, I don't know how you feel. I know how I feel, and I know what science says, so we will break that down as well. Um, We'll also hit on a couple other things here uh, on the North American side of things. So that's what's on the docket for today. Certainly going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Let's take care of a couple things here. Our March Photo of the Month contest going on right now. We've got a Stealth Cam DS4K camera. That's a $300 trail camera that you could win. All you have to do, send in your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post them on my Facebook page wall or use the LSOS Photo Contest hashtag on Instagram. I'll see it and I will get you entered for a chance to win that Stealth Cam. And then our 12 monthly winners from 2019 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt Trophy Black Buck or Axis Deer with yours truly down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, Let's do this. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a can of PhoneScope's Pyro Putty waterproof fire starter. Uh, This thing, you're going to see me post a video next week of of how to actually use this and how effective it is. But if you get it wet, it doesn't matter. And this, I think, is a game changer when it comes to backcountry fire starting capability. Anyway, comes in a can. Looks like a can of dip. I will give one away to, let's say, everyone is is eligible to win just uh email the word pyro that's right pyro who doesn't like to burn things right that's just something guys like to do maybe some of you ladies like to burn stuff as well but just uh, email the word pyro into lone star outdoors show at gmail.com and we will get you entered all right all you pyros let's take a quick break when we come back we'll get into the latest and greatest the mossberg firearms something they haven't done in almost 100 years you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'll come back to you. I've been gone too long. You've been singing that same old song. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Hey, y'all. Spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own personal nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installation. Hey, you want a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping makeovers, updates, stone borders and patios, and much more. Serving North Dallas and the surrounding areas, you can find them at jcslandscapingllc.com for a free quote. And tell them Cable sent you. 
We can run, but we can't hide And you ask me to forgive You said, let's just go on and live There's a little Cody West bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Green is the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here today. I also want to thank Dallas Safari Club, our longtime presenting sponsor, and Lone Star Beer and Hoffbauer Players as well. We're all set to get into some firearms discussion, specifically uh, something brand spanking new from Mossberg that they haven't done in close to a century. Maybe longer. I don't know. It's been a hell of a long time. Uh, from a historical standpoint, though, fascinating to go back down that road and look at uh, where one of America's largest firearms manufacturers, certainly one of our oldest, has come from, and now they're taking it back full circle. Uh, our good friend Linda Powell of Mossberg will be here in just a second. But before we do that, this segment of the show proudly Brought to you by Pulsar, night vision and thermal imaging optics. I just put my Trail XP50 on a actually a Mossberg 224 Valkyrie uh, load. This this caliber has only been out for about a year, and seeing as how you can push an 88 grain bullet out of that 224 uh, AR, well, it was a no-brainer to get that much more wallop. Uh, so said goodbye to the 223. I'm, it's not like I got rid of it. It's in the gun safe. And put that trail thermal optic on that 224 Valkyrie. We're going to take it hog hunting this weekend, and I'll report back. But the one thing I know is the trail is going to function flawlessly. It always does. It's got an internal recording device uh, storage right there, like an internal CPU. And so you don't have to use memory cards or any of that other crap. It's so easy. Push record, and you are now literally able to share your hunt with uh, anyone you want. So check it out. It's the Pulsar Trail Series, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. All right. With that being said, uh, let's bring on our next guest, a longtime friend of the program, uh, one of our semi-regular contributors. It's my pleasure to welcome our good friend, Linda Powell, back to the program. I likewise. I always enjoy visiting with you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm still, I still smile when I uh, think about our, our teal hunt from uh, September and just uh, how much fun and and how cooperative the birds were on the Texas coast. What a, you know, what a great <laughs> trip and you know, like you said I'm glad we got to spend some time together in the field and that's the first time I did that yeah. early season hunt like that and I'm hooked now. <laughs> oh yeah, that was fun. And we used uh 20 and 28 gauges exclusively, so it was uh like I told you before I never even shot a 28 gauge, so that was awesome. Yeah, once most people do they're kind of like, why hadn't I tried this before? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think I'm gonna. I try to switch over for for uh, this coming dove season as well. So, great idea. It's, uh, it's like uh, shooting a pop gun that kills birds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, what have you been up to? I know you like to uh, you like to get to the beach when the weather gets cold. I think you just went to the Bahamas and then came straight home and headed over to the NWTF show. Yes, I, that's right. I, I do enjoy my beach getaways, but uh, I'm not gone too long. And I was in uh, Nashville for the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention, and, you know, a great way to kind of deal with the doldrums of winter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, listening to all the turkey calling and seeing all the new products. So it's really exciting. I, 
again, I don't know when I, I've ever seen a more passionate group. They're they're out in numbers uh, that you can't believe and very family oriented. And you know, I love it when you see a a mom or a dad or a grandparents trying to figure out you know which shotgun to get for their uh, their young shooter coming up. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, you just see all the pictures on social media and, and that show. More so than some of the others, like Shot or ATA, which are more you know industry trade shows. Uh, but the NWTF looks like it is 100% just all about family and and passing it on down to the the next generation. So true. Yeah. Well, I wanted to uh, to get into something exciting here, and and I, before we talk about the new pistol, I believe you know Mossberg's been around forever. Um, people don't realize that. Um, you know, it's been what is it a hundred hundred years? We're celebrating our hundredth anniversary this exactly. year. Exactly, hundred years. Family owned and operated. We're the fourth generation of the Mossberg families running the company now. Uh-huh. So, you know, I I love that history and tradition, and you know, they still run it like a small family owned business. Although, you know, we're one of the largest manufacturer firearms manufacturer in the country. Yeah. Um, it's still just a, a real pleasure to work for a family owned company. And going back to those early days, um, I think Mossberg originally made pistols. Well, and that's what surprises most people. The mm-hmm. very first gun that Mossberg introduced was a little twenty-two pistol. had four barrels that rotated called the Brownie. And it was developed for trappers, uh, for them to go in, you know, when they wanted to uh, dispense and take care of an animal that was in a trap, they'd use this. But because of the capacity of having four rounds, it very quickly garnered interest in the personal defense mm-hmm. uh, market. So we sold the brownie over a period of about uh, 13 years at a whopping price of $5 per gun. Oh, wow. <laughs> you get <laughs> like five shells for that these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, again, we sold those for about 13 years, and then Mossberg has not been in the pistol business since then until this year. We're back in the pistol business now. Yeah, which is exciting. So 100, well, 90 years later, roughly, right? Uh, here we are, and we've got a brand new 9mm uh, subcompact, which I'm going to let you tell us all about. I know there's four or five different models. Uh, that's correct. We actually released it just prior to SHOT Show so that people would hopefully know about it when they showed up there. But, you know, we this project's been in development for a little over three years, and we did a lot of marketing research. And right now that subcompact market is the largest growing. Mm -hmm. And so what we tried to do was really incorporate all of the features that consumers were telling us that they wanted. So, you know, size is important, the ergonomics of it, you know, 9-millimeter, a lot of things that we we selected. So The hammerless, too. Yes, hammerless, exactly. So we started with, you know, 9-millimeter subcompact, uh, striker-fired, uh, the frame is actually a glass-reinforced polymer, and the slide and the barrel are both stainless steel, and they're coated with a DLC coating. Um, again, the base model, uh, and then there's a second model that's a variant with a cross-bolt safety. Uh, sometimes people like that extra layer of safety, and I found particularly women do a lot of times because they carry in their purse. Uh, we also have a version with uh, True Glow Tritium Pro Sites, mm-hmm. Viridian laser, and then there's a real blinged out version uh, to honor and celebrate our 100th anniversary. So there's a limited edition that has gold inlay, 
and special uh, serial numbers, and we'll be limiting production of that to a, a thousand guns. Oh wow! And, and so, what is the price point? Uh, well, price point suggested retail starts on the base model at about four twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Although I have already seen some flyers and some pricing in retailers as low as like three fifty-nine. We we think the price point will be somewhere around that three seventy five in most markets. Um, obviously, the you know the laser and the pro sites bring it up to around the the five hundred price point, and the anniversary edition is around a, a six hundred and eighty dollar version. Okay. Um, you know some of the things that I think really stand out. The first thing is the grip. When you get into these slim subcompact. A lot of times the grips just don't fit your hand and aren't comfortable, and we really worked hard on getting the grip right. Um, it has some aggressive, but I don't think overly aggressive, texturing. There's a bit of a palm swell and also an angle similar to the 1911. So it feels very comfortable and kind of natural in your hand. Hmm. Um, one of the other things that people have just raved about that have already shot it is the trigger. It's more of a flat face trigger has a very short reset, so it's just a really, I think, an excellent trigger uh, for this type of pistol. Okay. And so a big thing, you know, when you talk about um, everyday carry weapons is weight, you know. Uh, you see a lot of, some guys carry on these giant 10 millimeters. I don't get that. You know, I have a 10 millimeter, but I like to hunt with it. You know, I don't want to, it's not going to go in my, right. in my waistband. Um this gun is is pretty light, even. It when, is not, you know. 19 ounces unloaded, and you know 22 ounces, you know, fully loaded. Uh, so it does make it very comfortable and compact, lightweight to carry. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many? Uh, what is the round capacity? It, single stack magazines, and you actually get two. There's a six round flush and a seven round extended. And one of the first things that jump out uh, when you look at them is they're actually clear. Um, so it's a clear polymer. The beauty of that is it makes it very quickly in a in a tactical type situation for you to be able to identify how many rounds you have left in your magazine. Uh huh. Okay. Um, some folks, you know, especially bigger guys, have large hands. I don't know if there is any kind of extension to just bring that grip out a little more. Uh, but someone did mention that on on the initial post I made on Instagram. Yeah, you know, I think I have found, you know, for my hand, I do like the the seven round flush mm-hmm. uh, magazine. I mean, excuse me, seven round extended, just because it gives me uh, room to get my pinky on there as well. Okay. Uh, we are currently not selling any extended, and maybe not highly promoting this, but the way the gun's designed, it will also accept Glock 43 magazines. Oh. So there's some options out there. Uh, if someone's looking for an extended magazine, greater capacity, or maybe something that will just fit their hand better. Okay, awesome. Um, let me ask you this. So this, you know, here we are. We've we've talked about the history of of Mossberg, the original uh, Brownie uh, four shot, which came out a um, hundred years ago. Uh, now we've got this new nine millimeter. Is there uh, a plan to continue this line with other calibers? Well, what a what a great question to ask. And of course, <laughs> no. All I can tell you at this point is we're definitely in the handgun market. Um, this isn't a one and done for us. We do have some, I would say, line extensions in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, I think we're probably looking at some additional platforms in the future. So, awesome. you know, um, Mossberg's in handguns now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I know uh, these things are they're. Uh, obviously in high high in demand as they've just hit the market. I've got one. 
it should be arriving soon, and I will certainly do a uh, a product review and, and tell folks what I love about it uh, once I get my hands on it. I've shot it a bit, and I'm looking forward. I'm actually headed out to Gunsight in March for two classes with it. Mm. Uh, so um, I'm looking forward to a little time at the, the range with it as well. Awesome. Well, that is exciting stuff, very exciting. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, what was it, four, five, Ah, it's been quite a few years, maybe five years, when when Mossberg got back in the uh, the AR market, and right. now here we are uh, continuing to expand again with uh, the first handgun uh, in a, quite a long time. So that's very cool. Um, what about I know one of your other your favorite things is spring turkey. What uh, what do you have on the calendar for this spring? Well, my first one out of the gate, I'm actually heading down to Mexico for the isolated, so I'm really oh, excited wow. about that. <laughs> got a group going down there and we're also going to uh, have tags for brocket deer so that makes kind of an interesting combination and we're going to use uh you know buckshot for those and hope we'll hope we'll tag out um but i then i'm looking forward to you know just some hunts around the home and uh, a few other industry hunts this spring so yeah it's turkey season it'll be here before we know it and which shotgun will you be taking on on those you know, I, I've had a favorite that I've used for the last, oh gosh, five or six years, and that's been my uh, 500 Tactical Turkey. But I'm forcing myself to use a 930 this year. Uh, and People probably laugh. It looks like I'd probably enjoy shooting a 930 since it's an autoloader and a little softer recoiling. But I've just gotten so accustomed to that little uh, adjustable stock and, and lightweight, you know, ability of the Tactical Turkey. But... Uh, I'm taking the the 930 turkey and the new bottomland camo. Awesome. Well, I will look forward to uh, seeing pictures of that oscillated slash brocket deer hunt. Uh, <laughs> the, the oscillated turkey, that's a, a beautiful bird. So I'm a little jealous. Hopefully I'll be able to send you some photos. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we are excited uh, about uh, the new stuff coming out uh, regarding the, the uh, first pistol here in such a long time. Um, and, and like we said, there's, I think, five different options for the... the uh, Correct, for the MC1. So, MC, yes, yeah. for more information on the five models, you definitely go to Mossberg.com and check out the MC1 SC. Yeah, and that Centennial is sharp. That That is a, a sweet-looking um, design there, limited edition, though. So. It is. If you're interested in one of those, better get that on order with your dealer pretty quickly. Right on. Linda, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time, and I'm sure we will touch base again soon. Sounds great. Thanks again. Take care. So there you have it, Uh, Mossberg Firearms coming full circle, getting back to their roots. Uh, Once again, manufacturing a handgun for the first time in 90 years. Mossberg, of course, celebrating 100 years here in 2019. So one of the... you have to say one of America's most iconic, still to this day, family-owned and operated businesses. Cool stuff with Linda. That segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, that's the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. So if you're ready to make that plunge, take that next step, and make your dream a reality, well, you know what to do. Give Lone Star Ag Credit a shout. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We will be right back with our good friend, Richard Cheatham, DSC Foundation Executive Director. We've got a lot to get into concerning Botswana's elephant problem, 
the recent Astor Markor hunt in Pakistan that made international headlines for all the wrong reasons. Uh, that and a whole lot more. We do it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. When they laugh, how he's falling down to the bone. And I don't have those memories that I can hold on to. So I keep hanging on to his own In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Hey, this is Michael Hunsucker with Heartland Bowhunter. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That ain't country, our very own Aaron Lewis, bringing us back from break. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. We've got a ton to get into with our next guest concerning topics like the uh, Pakistan Markor hunt that made international headlines. Also, Botswana's overpopulation of elephants due to a 2014 hunting ban and the current government's plan on how to deal with this uh, evolving and pressing situation. The... Uh, the citizens are not happy, and we'll get into that. Also, the Trump administration's plan to delist gray wolves, the Frisco coyote, and a whole lot more. <laughs> We're going to do that with our good friend and DSC Foundation Executive Director Richard Cheatham here in just a second. But first, this segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. You know, the DSC Foundation is the charitable arm of Dallas Safari Club, uh, but DSC is passionate about hunters' rights, education, and big game conservation. To get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks, check us out at biggame.org. With that being said, our good friend has joined us here in studio. He makes his return to the show. It's been uh, it's maybe been a year or two, Richard, but it is certainly great to have you back here in studio, my friend. Thank you, Cable. It's great to be with you. It is my pleasure. Absolutely. So, first of all, how have you been? I've been great. It's been a very busy six months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So lots of changes within the, it for me personally with respect to the foundation. And uh, I'm really excited and, and uh, uh, you know, wake up every day ready to go to work. Awesome. Awesome. We've got a lot to get into today. Uh, but one thing, and I didn't tell you I was going to talk about this, but I am interested because um, I've got this Bontabuck that I shot in South Africa last year. Can't get the damn thing back over here. 
And it's a bonta buck. It's not like a shot of right. a, a lion or something else that you would think, okay, it's one of the big five. And I think that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service just needs to get out of everybody's damn business. Well, and I, uh, somebody actually asked me at the convention. A guy came up to me at the DSC Foundation booth and said, what is happening? What, you know, why can't I and what's the prospect of my being able to, to import? And um, uh, I didn't know. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I know John Jackson for Conservation Force is working on it. And uh, uh, John had indicated that he was optimistic. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's an antelope species that's actually doing pretty well. And, yeah, it's uh, a great conservation uh, story. It's a very good conservation story, and that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, uh, up until now, really, Fish and Wildlife Service, um, as they can, you know, again, there are exceptions for elephant, but uh, on these other issues, they've been very favorable and really try to work with everybody and work with John to try to uh, get some of these roadblocks out of the way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I shot it. I didn't even know at the time, and I don't even think Carl, my PH, I mean, we filled out all the paperwork, it's like, yeah, it'll just come in your regular shipment with all your other stuff, uh, but it is a CITES animal, yep. but it shouldn't be an issue. And then I I get this notification from the, the dip and pack um, company over there. Hey, we can't ship your Vontabuck. I call U.S. Fish and Wildlife, talk to the guy who, I forgot his name, but who handles the importation permits. He's like, yeah, I haven't issued one of those in a year. He's like, I can't, I, I didn't do a single one in 2018. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, <clears throat> doesn't make a lot of sense, but no. It, uh, and you know, it, it's uh, fortunately I, again. I think I think a lot of those issues are there. Are, we have fewer of them to deal with than we had five years ago, uh-huh. but we still have them. And yeah. when it's and especially when it's you, it's it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a, it's a, it becomes a lot more important. So, right. uh, but that's that's another one that I'm optimistic will get resolved. Well, so. I, it, I still at least have a pretty picture to look at. There it, you go. So. Um, let's talk about this Marcor hunt. This was. I mean, it made national, international sure. uh, headlines. And the crazy thing is, is that you you and I know what a markhor is, but I don't know all the subspecies. I know you hunt them, generally speaking, in the Middle East, you know. Um, this particular markhor was shot in Pakistan, and there is a great conservation story that goes along with this species. There is, and, and I really didn't know. I knew a little bit about them, and, and, and I, the only reason I knew anything was that at the DSC office, we have... Uh, a number of, of pieces from the Herb Klein collection, and on our boardroom we have a beautiful Marcor up mm-hmm. there, and, and uh, so I got to I got I became familiar with them and became familiar with with the efforts to try to uh, downlist them and and put back in place this this model that works this this uh, uh, you know this North American model that that uh, um, that places value on the animal and allows you to put money back into the local communities and that's exactly what the Pakistani government did mm-hmm. um, um, and in this particular case um, this particular subspecies the Astor Marcor I believe that there are 1200 of them in the Astor region and and they issue four permits per year um, this particular hunter was one of three American hunters who 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 took one, and each of them paid over a hundred thousand uh, dollars mm-hmm. for the permit from the government. And and of that hundred thousand or whatever that figure was, eighty percent goes right back into the local communities, um, and 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 that 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 gets overlooked by a lot of people because they don't understand what these local communities are. You've been to Africa and you know, once you get out oh my of the gosh. rural areas, even, even in the urban areas, there's a, there's a lot of poverty and blight, but in the rural areas, it's unbelievable. And, and imagine that in the middle of nowhere in Pakistan or Tajikistan or one of the neighboring countries, 
Um, and so 80% of this money goes to them for clean water, for health care, for education, um, infrastructure, things that they wouldn't otherwise have. And then 20% goes back to the Pakistani Wildlife Agency to help fund anti-poaching. And people think, okay, anti-poaching, you're just trying to save the Markor. Well, they're they're protecting everything that yeah. lives there. It's like Ducks Unlimited protecting wild, wild, uh, waterfowl habitat. Well, everything that, that thrives in a riparian habitat benefits because Ducks Unlimited is out there yeah. protecting and preserving wetlands. And I think that they're all worth protecting. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And so this hunter paid, I think this particular hunt was $110,000. You do the math. That's a lot of money going back into a uh, third world, you know, community. Yep. Um, the rest, twenty percent, going to fund further wildlife conservation, anti-poaching. Um, I think it's it's such a sad deal when this guy uh, makes that investment in conservation is immediately. How did the people find? I mean, how did this particular? You said there was three Americans that um, hunted one here in the last year. Why did this one make headlines? Well, I, there's 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 two reasons. Um, uh, one is that if you want to import uh, and you apply for an import permit, there's a especially on certain animals like like this markour, there's a public comment period, um, mm -hmm. and there's a there's there's public notice. And so when they you know for example with the with the most recent black rhino that was uh, hunted in uh, in Namibia, uh, when they issue their import permit or give notice that they're going to issue the import permit, then they invite public comment. And then once they make their decision, you have 10 more days to offer public comment, which in DSC and DSC Foundation did. But you, that's when you see everybody coming out of the woodwork to say, oh, this is, you know, this is bull. There's no such thing as hunting as conservation. There's no conservation benefit. So these were the PETA and Humane Society trolls. Or they're monitoring these that's right. Uh -huh. and, and then also, uh, this particular hunter made a video. I think he anticipated some of the fallout. And he, was, he decided he was going to get out in front of it. So he, 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 It's a story worth telling, for it, sure. It, 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 it's been said, it's been described as one of the best hunting conservation stories or, or wildlife conservation success stories out there. Um, but uh, uh, he made a video to try to get out in front of it, and it hit the, it hit the Internet, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and, and I think he even stepped down from his job. It was it's my understanding. Quietly forced out, which is a, a damn shame. You know, you see it every day when something mm -hmm. like this happens. And it's not always a, a an iconic species or a major species like this, but you see it every time somebody posts uh, a picture or some, some celebrity or anybody with any level of celebrity status just catches hell for, 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 for it. And, uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the 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 mob voice on social media um, they win some, hmm. and uh, uh, unfortunately, I think in this particular case, uh, the uh, the people that uh, um, that run that business now have decided that uh, uh, it's 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 best if he kept a low profile. It's not worth the headache for them, right? Yeah. Uh, it, what's amazing also is that the Markor, this Astor Markor. Hell, most people don't know what it is. Anti-hunters damn sure don't know what it is. Only people interested in conservation would have any idea of, not just the Astor, take a Markor in general. I guarantee right. you if you said, hey, what animal is this? And you showed it to some anti-hunter, they're going to scratch their head and be like, I, it's a, I don't know. They wouldn't be able they to. Don't they, they, the they, they, they don't care about the Markor. They don't give a damn about it. And they couldn't draw you a picture that looked anything like it. They they wouldn't know whether it was an amphibious species or a goat in, in the in the mountains in right. Pakistan. So no it, it is it is fascinating. And it's a, it's a sign of the times that that's what we're dealing with and that the uh, 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 that, that, that this becomes a social media debate uh, uh, that for the most part is is dominated by people who have, you know, 
absent the internet, yeah. they wouldn't know what a markor was, and they probably couldn't pick Pakistan out on a globe. Right, so. right, yeah. And the guy gets death threats, too. I mean, uh, that's yeah. nothing that I'm not used to seeing, but... Gee. It's just it's, it's a sad state of affairs. That, and, 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 and he's this is a species that's gone from 2,500 animals in 2010 to over 5,000, 5,700 now. Um, and everybody, this isn't a system, a hunting system that the that Americans developed. This is a system that the Pakistanis developed for their own people. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and at some point, we have to assume or we have to let um, the Pakistanis decide what's best for Pakistani and pa Pakistani people and Pakistani wildlife. It's the same thing happened in Botswana now with mm -hmm. the current administration. And we'll talk about it in a little while, but, yeah. uh, uh, but at some point it's their wildlife and, and, uh, and, and it's their people that are being impacted, whether it's by an overpopulation or by the loss of revenue when hunting is banned, yeah. let's let them decide what's best for their wildlife and their people. Absolutely. And so you, you mentioned in that region, there's 1200 and they issue four permits. That is a drop in the bucket, certainly a sustainable right. <laughs> method. Right. When, when you talk about uh, recruitment, I mean, I don't know how, how successful they are at breeding, but based off of those numbers, 2009, they've doubled their population. It seems like they're doing quite well. They are. Yeah, and you're not even touching the reproductive rate. It's no. still a growing population. Four is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, it's and again, not to not to not to not to segue to the to the elephant issue, but but right away before before hunting was was stopped in Botswana a number of years ago, uh, elephant populations were growing at seven to nine percent per year, and at uh -huh. one hundred thirty thousand, which is what the elephant count was, that's ninety one hundred elephants, oh. and, and they weren't the hunters were taking a tiny tiny fraction yeah. of that. Yeah. So. Well, let's do this because I do want to get into that next. Let's yeah. work in a quick break here, okay. come back, and we'll talk about the uh, Botswana situation. You bet. Good deal. And that segment brought to you proudly by John X Safaris. Whether you're planning your first African safari or you're looking to explore the darkest depths of Africa, John X will cater to whatever it is you're looking to do. They take pride in making your dream hunt a reality. So whether that's Planes Game or the Big Five, John X Safaris has you covered. We'll be right back with more from a good friend and DSC Foundation Executive Director Richard Cheatham. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. See the big man cry, mama. That's what I heard him say. See the big man cry, mama. He looks like his heart will break. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Yeah, you call him to say, have a good show. Well, hey, I'm doing all right, Mama. I'm okay. I know you're late night talk. 
That's Cody Jinks bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Uh, our very own Cody Jinks, two-time in-studio uh, guest of the show. One of my favorite tunes there. Makes me think of my mom. Not that uh, I ran off to California and needed uh, money for a truck payment, but I'm sure there were things that compared uh, with my own folks, and uh, especially my mom. Um, anyway, I'm glad that you guys and gals are here today as we are talking big game conservation. I've got a lot more to get into. I don't think a lot of folks understand the not just financial impact that sport hunting, call it trophy hunting if you want, has on third world communities from an infrastructure standpoint and also a sustenance standpoint. Uh, Our good friend Richard Cheatham is still here in studio with us. And we're going to tackle some of that stuff next, uh, specifically head over to the Dark Continent and explore what's going on in Botswana, a country who has the world's most vibrant elephant population. But first, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by First Light. Whether you are chasing elk in the backcountry or you're heading over to South Africa to pursue planes game like I'll be doing here very soon. I wouldn't go anywhere without my first light obsidian pant. You talk about something that is rugged from chasing black bear in the briars of Montana's backcountry to getting poked and prodded by everything the South Texas brush country has to offer and, and anything in between. Uh, they stand up. They take the punishment and keep on ticking. I've had mine for over a year, and literally, I can't wear them out. It's a merino wool blend. Keeps you warm when it's cold. Keeps you cool when it's hot. Check it out. First light. Go further. Stay longer. Well, let's go ahead and jump back into it with our good friend and DSC Foundation Executive Director Richard Cheatham. Certainly appreciate you sticking around. You bet. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to be here. It is my pleasure to get to do this again. I think this is your second time in studio, so it is. Yeah. It's it's a treat having you back. We we hit on it briefly before the break. I want to dive into it head first now. Botswana um, has perhaps the most viable elephant population in Africa. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh-huh. I mean, really, you can add up uh, uh, the top three other countries, and they don't get to the Botswana population. As far as Botswana is concerned, why why is that? Is that just ideal habitat, or is it just is it like one of the farthest? Because I've I've only been to South Africa. Yeah, uh, I want to explore these other places as time allows. Um, but is it like one of the most darkest uh, unexplored regions left in Africa, or what's going on there? It's interesting because I don't think it is, and it, it 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 shares a border with Namibia on the west side of Botswana and South Africa on the southeast side. It's uh, uh it's just good habitat, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, it, 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 the, they did a count in 2011. That's where the 130,000 number comes in. And mm. so you have to figure that, uh, and hunting was banned, uh, three years later in 2014. Right. So, so, uh, forget about poaching for a second. Again, at that seven to 8% population growth rate, um, that 130,000 absent poaching, um, it's probably going to be a, a, a much higher number, but it's just, it's been a, it's been a, because of the, uh, the landscape and the Okavanga Delta um, and a healthy population to begin with, uh, it's just been a haven. 
Part of it has also been, though, and it's a really important part. You have really good natural habitat, but then you have marginal areas that hunters have gone through, professional hunters and outfitters and guides have gone through, and they have dug boreholes, they've put diesel pumps on there, and they've paid the diesel fuel to pump water out of the ground, so that as that population grows, it does not focus in on the one, two, or three, or small number of natural water holes. Mm. And, 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 and when that happens and you've got this exploding population, guess what happens? Habitat degradation. And, and it goes downhill in a hurry. And so, um, and so they were able to expand the range of elephants in Botswana greatly when you have people like Johan Kalitz that were, and other people, Jeff Rand, that were, that were providing habitat upgrades for them mm. and ensuring that, the, uh, that, that an already stressed habitat didn't completely get destroyed by uh, this this convergence of all these animals that were just going to wipe out everything and, and and perfect example is is the greater kruger area right now kruger's got an overpopulation a terrible overpopulation of elephants and i was there at the end of october um, riding around with a couple of the uh, guys that teach uh, professional hunters school there at southern african wildlife college mm-hmm. and they say we've lost our ungulates look around you don't see any big trees and you know why you don't see any big trees Elephants have pushed them down, and mm. so there's nothing left for the for the browsers to eat, and so wow. you start to see this domino effect on everything else. Well, it starts with the biggest herbivore on the planet, and right, <laughs> pushing trees over it, no big thing right. for an elephant. And and if you and if you think and if you believe the the, the numbers, and, and it's generally accepted that, that Botswana has a carry capacity of fifty four thousand, and so if there are really two hundred thousand elephants there now, or even if there's only a hundred and thirty still. That's a minimum of 76,000 elephants too many. Yeah. So just imagine what that does to an ecosystem when, when they all have to eat and they all have to drink. And so what's happened is they have moved into these marginal areas, and now you're starting to see much more frequent instances of human-wildlife conflict. Right, so, right. Um, so this the current administration that took over from President Kama, who introduced the ban, has has taken a long hard look at why the Botswana's wildlife policy, and they have heard the voice of their people saying, well, "This is this is." These uh, farmers are getting their asses handed to them. Uh, it's it's and and it, again we over here, um, it's hard for us to imagine, but you have people over there that that their entire livelihood is either based on that annual crop production or that that uh, that herd of cattle or, or cows or goats that they have over there. And so when you've got a human-wildlife conflict problem with a herd of elephants coming in that destroy hey, your now crop. my cows are competing with goats. And, you know, I mean, now my right. cows and goats are competing with these 15 elephants that we can't do anything about them. You know, they're, right. what are you going to do? Yeah. It's like all we can compare it to here is like feral hog yeah. depredation, which is nothing compared to what an yeah. you know, elephants could they'll, do. They'll do. They certainly do a lot of damage, but they're not going to destroy your entire crop. And, they, and again, you've got, I don't know how many acres the average the average uh, member of the community has over there, but but uh, but it's gone. It's mm-hmm. gone overnight. And uh, I guarantee uh, you they don't have crop insurance. No, that's, <laughs> nope, nope. But it's, and so you, it's it's becoming more and more of a problem because these elephant, the, the range has, has, has expanded. And, and when this story came up, everybody said, oh, well, you know, it was, they, you, we, 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 we invaded their territory, and that's just not true. Yeah. This was not elephant habitat before. Sure. It, it is now because they have to go someplace, and they're going to where this really sustainable, healthy food crop is. It just happens to be the food crop that these locals have planted over there. Sure, and, so, and even if they did invade, this is the thing. The, the world population keeps going up. That isn't an excuse. Right. We invaded there. No, that's crap. You know, Go back 500 years, and that, maybe that holds water. Yeah. No, humans... We, are we are the apex predator? We are the you know 
We're the yeah. smartest Everybody wants animal to. on the planet. It, it is what it is. We come first. And, it is. And, and now they want to, I hear this, I hear this all the time. And I know you do too. Um, if, if, if we just left nature alone to its own devices, it would take care of itself. You cannot take the human out of the equation now. I mean, we're, we're as much a part of, of, of wildlife as, as, as the, as any of the megafaun is. And yeah. so, and so you, you, you touched on it. That African population is going to double between now and 2050. It's going to, it's, it's roughly 1.25 billion. It's going to be two and a half billion people in less than 35 years. And yeah. so, um, uh, if you do stupid things like say you can't hunt elephants, what do you think that the, that when that population doubles, what is the mindset going to be right. towards elephants? Right. These huge things are a pain in the ass. We can't do anything with them. They destroy our crops. Right. There's no incentive for us to protect them. They're going to start killing them. Well, they probably are. You know what? To be honest with you, they're they probably. Are. And and that was the other when when the minister came out with the, the minister McKayla is the uh, minister of environment and, and uh, natural resource conservation and tourism in Botswana, and they came out with a cabinet proposal to reinstitute or to, to undo the ban and, and, and redevelop this hunting program, they, they also came out with a call policy and call gets people's attention because they hate the idea. Oh yeah. I read about them there is canning abs- some of them for dog food. Right. Right. And, but, but, but unfortunately in this particular case, it's gotten so out of balance now that there's no alternative yeah. but to do it. Like they couldn't get enough hunters there fast enough. No. So they are going to have to call some of I the animals. I don't see how they possibly avoid it. And then the, and, and, which and, is a and, shame because, it would never have come to this if they didn't ban it in the first place. Exactly, and so you 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 also now hear people say, "Well, why don't you uh, why don't you ship them to the neighboring countries? Why don't somebody want to want to buy them? Well, no one's lining up to buy these things. And, Who wants and, them? Who's going to pay and, for and it? And where are you going to put them? Because <laughs> because every place that has suitable habitat or even marginal habitat now has too many elephants. I mean, Zimbabwe has. I think the last number I heard was 83 or 84,000 elephants and they've got a carry capacity of about 44,000. So they've got twice as many elephants as they can have. And so, and so you, you, you see this, this, you see all the people coming out of the woodwork with all these crazy ideas. And, and, uh, and the reality on the ground is the Botswanans and Zimbabweans know what they're dealing with over there. And as you said, it's gotten so far out of whack, especially in Botswana that there's, the a hunting quota, even a even a healthy hunting quota, isn't going to make a dent on their problem. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe if it was a really high hunting quota and the price dropped and more people could afford it, hey, I might be one of because I can't afford to go right. fifty thousand dollars. Few people shoot. can. Yeah. No, right. So, but hey, maybe if it was like uh, I don't know for a couple of years, eight ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, and I and I, I, I I'll think, save my pennies. Well, and I, I think it's. That makes more sense than a simple call because because other than the, um, the use of food, and you mentioned dog food, and there's a reason for that, uh, that that's what they proposed. What what people don't get with culling is that there's no money coming back into the the economy right. over there. The locals get no benefit out of a call other than the fact that there are fewer crops to raid their villages and their and their I mean a fewer elephants to raid their raid their crops. But uh-huh. uh, uh, but when you think about it, and and you're right, even if they knock the price down um, and say they cut it in half. Um, I'd be like, and they Aaron, to, I need you to take off for a couple of weeks. I'm going to Botswana. That's right. <laughs> and, and, but that's, so I'll put the money back in the kids college yeah. fund. Don't worry. Say there's, <laughs> say there's a thousand elephants that, 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 that they would have called, but they've, they've increased the quota and say the average price there is 15,000. I mean, I'm not good at math, but I think that's $1.5 million. And, and so it's a, uh, it's a lot of money that goes back into a, a, a difficult economy. And, and I, I haven't heard this about Botswana, but I think it's true. I know Namibia is in the middle of a really, really bad drought. And I think it's true right. all over Southern Africa right now. And so, yeah. um, and so there's a, it, it really is a, 
a, a, a disaster waiting to happen. Mm. You've got this convergence of this massively overpopulated herd, a major drought, um, no way to take the, no way for an effective offtake, whether it's through culling or, or hunting, um, and uh, uh, and, a, and a population that's sick and tired of dealing with the problem over there. So, well, kudos to the previous president of Botswana for creating this issue. Well, uh, interestingly enough, there are suggestions that there's a really lush area in Botswana, the Okavanga Delta, and it's, it, it doesn't even feed into an ocean, but, but it's, a, it's a really beautiful area that, that for a, a few months out of the year is gorgeous, mm. and you've, everybody's seen the pictures, mm-hmm. um, uh, but that's where all the photo tourism operations are. The rest of this is marginal land. I always, always remind people. Could you imagine driving around South Texas or West Texas exactly. and, look, hey, you're out here in Lubbock and there's just freaking elephants? I mean, that's what these people are right. dealing with in their crops. Right. And, 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 and the photo tourism people say, well, we, you know, we, you know, we, photo tourism eventually will take care of this. Well, that's not true. No. I mean, you use the South <laughs> Texas or Lubbock example. There are places in South Texas where, where you know, with absent a sendero, or or if you're rattling, you're not going to see a fraction of the deer that right. are out there, and so uh, and so it's not suitable for 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 photo tourism operations, and it, you know, I which can, are not, you know, generally speaking, they're not as they're not profitable. But Carl, um, my PH owner, second generation owner of John X Safaris, used to do photo safaris, yeah, and he quit because he's like, you know, it, like it can keep the lights on, but it's never gonna, it, right. it's never gonna, you know be self-sustaining. I can't make a, I can't do business on just photo tourism. And a lot of times there's a, um, there's a, a much more significant carbon footprint for a photo tourism operation. It, the, the, the people that do these generally want to drive on nicer roads. And I've been to Polonisburg and some of the areas of greater Kruger area again. Uh, uh, it's, uh, the lodges are nicer typically than what you're going to stay, not across the board. There are a mm-hmm. lot of hanging operations that have really five-star lo- uh, accommodations, but it's a different mindset. Uh, to begin with, and and you, what you what you can do in Africa is have uh, a hunting concession next to a hunting concession next to a hunting concession, or a game ranch next to a game ranch next to a game ranch. What you can't do is have a photo safari place next to a photo safari place, unless it's around Kruger or Polanisburg or one of the other parks there where mm-hmm. the concentration of animals is. It doesn't work if you've got that marginal land like 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 Catula uh, or <laughs> yeah. someplace like that it's just it, it's a model that will never ever work yeah yeah so. going back to that uh, human wildlife conflict you know we've had this uh this Frisco coyote deal which is just literally like 10 miles uh, west of here yeah and the coyotes are starting to attack people even there's even on video of the police officer Frisco police officer on his dash cam this jogger's running down the street of El Dorado Parkway. Which yeah. is, I live off El Dorado right here in McKinney. And he sees this coyote sneaking up behind the guy, and he turns his lights on and basically runs the, the light at the intersection and scares the coyote off. Yeah. And but anyway, multiple people have been bit. And I, and I posted about that on Facebook, and I get, going back to that comment, well, we shouldn't have invaded the coyote's territory. Yeah. BS. The coyotes in they weren't yeah. always in living in urban areas. The coyotes are the most adaptable species in North America. They yeah. they, they make a living in the city. Yeah, it, I mean they they come here. We didn't go seek out you know to go live with these coyotes. And and not only that, but but they were not. They weren't found on the East Coast 30 or 40 right. years ago. They are now in Newfoundland. They have crossed. They have crossed an ice sheet to get to Newfoundland. Uh, it's it's really easy to figure out why that they that their range has expanded because because they, for the most part, they 
are the dominant predator in most mm -hmm. places that they live. Obviously, you also see mountain lion populations increasing some in a lot of places too. But especially but places it, where you can't hunt them. Well, exactly. California. And, and, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so. But but without a, without a without a black bear or grizzly bear population or a red wolf or a gray wolf population, which obviously gray wolf good news too here recently. But uh, 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 what's to stop coyotes from doing exactly what they're doing, especially when you have ranchers that are really have done a lot better job of managing their deer populations. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a more consistent, uh, uh, supply of food and, uh, and there's nobody that's chasing them down that wants to eat them. I saw, uh, on, saw on Instagram last week, a video of a coyote in Los Angeles, not one he's carrying two house cats in his mouth. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The guy's driving down the street. He looks over. There's a coyote. Oh, it's got a cat. It's got two cats in its mouth. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't like cats. So I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. It. It is. It is great. I, I love. I love the fact that we are able, that we have um, instances of urban wildlife sightings. Um, I. I, uh, I live in an area of Dallas that's not too far from. Um, uh, uh, from Bachman Creek on the north side oh, yeah. of Lovers uh, of, of the Love Field. And so we we get coyotes over there all the time. We don't hear them. We never hear them. But huh. uh, uh, but I like the fact that the that, that there's an, a certain level of adaptation and that people get to see them. And I like seeing them when I'm driving around at ten o'clock at night over the yeah. neighborhood. But with that comes the bad. Yeah. And uh, uh, you got to keep you your cats keep inside. your cats and little dogs inside. <laughs> but 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 yeah, the the idea that uh, that we've invaded the coyote territory, I get a big chuckle out yeah. of that too because it's. It's nothing can be further from the truth unless you lived out in Arizona, uh, right, uh, right? You know, a hundred years ago. Well, Richard, let's do this. Um, let's take a quick break, come back, and get into another megafauna species that the Trump administration literally put back in the crosshairs last week, much to the chagrin of the anti-hunting community. Sound like a plan? You bet. Awesome. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you haven't seen. The new monolith feeder from All Seasons, you need to check it out. Monolith, what does that mean? It means like one stem. It's literally one big central leg, if you can call it that. It's actually more of like a compartment because it houses your timer, your battery, all that stuff right there. It's the monolith, and you got to check it out. It's available at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from our good friend Richard Cheatham of Dallas Safari Club and the DSC Foundation. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Seen me at my worst. He can't tell if I'm a blessing or a curse. But he always shows up when the chips are down. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The system hog trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, 
you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Kentucky Rain, one of my favorites from Elvis Presley, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Man, it is uh, it's a treat to be talking all things outdoors with you. Thanks for dropping by. Sincerely appreciate it. We've still got our good friend and DSC Foundation Executive Director Richard Cheatham here in studio with us. Uh, got a lot more to get into with Richard before we get back into that conversation, though, this segment is proudly brought to you by the one and only Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the turkey lease, or hey, maybe you're celebrating a full stringer of crappie. Make it a Lone Star Beer, but remember, man, Lone Star is best celebrated with friends. So enjoy a cold Lone Star with your buddies this spring. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. And now that we've knocked out that shameless plug for one of our oldest sponsors and certainly my favorite beer, uh, let's jump back into our conversation with Richard Cheatham. Richard, earlier, you know, you mentioned gray wolves and they were in the news last week as the Trump administration has plans to delist them, which would be great. You know, we've seen um, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana fighting this since 1994. Yep. The lies, the mistrust with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and it's not completely their fault. They've been sued hand over fist since they decided to turn uh, control back over to the states. But states that really have no recourse are the Great Lakes states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and they have more wolves, actually, than they do out west. Yeah. The Great Lakes states are just getting, their whitetail herds are just getting pounded. I've had so many Wisconsin deer hunters comment, say, this is the best news ever. Our deer have, you know, they're not completely gone, but they've their numbers have been reduced by 50, yeah. 75%. Uh, so to give those states the ability to manage, the and, and that's not saying the states are just going to say, come out and just kill all the wolves. Um, but hunters, now they can. Right, right. And Now, we, and now, we now they it. can manage it. The states Absolutely. can do it. It'll be wonderful. Uh, and then going farther west, you know, Washington, Oregon, we're seeing wolves pop, pop up there, Nevada, Utah. Um, it'll give these states recourse uh, to manage their own, just like Pakistan saying, hey, we're going to manage our own wildlife. Yeah. States should be able to do the same thing. Right. right. You, you saw, and this is a broad number across the, uh, the lower 48, but uh, but you saw numbers that are low, I think 1975 of 1,000, and today they're 5,000. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and again, that doesn't sound like a lot. It's, talk, it's like talking about the 2,000 black rhinos that live in Namibia. It's a small number. Yeah. But but they really occupy all the territory that they can occupy. And yeah. so with the gray wolf. Which is why um, they're expanding west, trying to find exactly. that more marginal habitat. Exactly. And so and so that's a it's, a, it's still a significant number, especially where it was 40 years ago yeah. and and that's why they'd said it's in every area that they live the, the population's rebounded enough to remove them from the endangered species yeah. list so 
Uh, yeah. It's a it's another good success story. Uh, I think Corey just produced a video on behalf no, of the saw club that. here, and um, uh, and so I think the uh, I believe the decision has been made. Yeah. So it's like, but it's like you said, it was almost it's what we're trying to do with the. Uh, well, now we can expect a litany of lawsuits against. Probably them, so. Right? Yeah, but yeah. but it's similar to what the, what happened with the efforts to to downlist the. Uh, uh, create a subspecies for grizzlies and, and Yellowstone right. and, and to create and to, and to open up hunting there. It makes no sense not to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think eventually they'll get that done, but, uh, uh, but well, you some, have these, some, uh, regional circuit judge is the one that kiboshed that. Whole yeah. Deal. Yep. And, and which he uh, has no authority, no degree in wildlife management. Yeah. I, and I read that opinion when it came out and it's, and he kind of picked it. It's, uh, and I've, you know, when a judge, picks apart a case and rules in your favor, then you're really happy about it. And when, mm. and when they, when they rely on, on, on stuff that's just looks like they're finding any excuse to, to, to do what you don't want them to do, it makes you really mad. And I think the latter is true in this particular case. I, I also think that there's, there are several things that are being done. Liz Cheney has actually introduced legislation in Wyoming to try to, to try to re- reverse that, but Wyoming could withdraw. Wyoming could withdraw from it, from the purview of, of, uh, of fish and wildlife and, and regulate. And they, nobody wants to do that. It's kind of a nuclear option type pl- uh, uh, proposal. Uh, but there are things that they can do if fish. And I think fish and wildlife is now appealing the decision. Mm-hmm. If, if, if they're unsuccessful, if they, if part of what, part of what the judge, um, uh, found that they didn't do can still be done and then you can go back in and have another shot at it uh, and so there's a, there's a, there's still a lot of ways to get there um, it's unfortunately it's going to be another two years before we're having this conversation again about mm-hmm. well is it going to happen and, and as you might recall the judge set this thing shut this thing down uh, you know right before the hunt was supposed to take place oh yeah I mean the guys that we we actually had uh, <laughs> it wasn't totally honest with why I wanted to interview the guy, but the photographer who actually drew a permit, uh, because he didn't, he wanted to go for, you know, photograph him. And and he said he was saving the bears. Yeah. Uh, Tom Mangelson, I think is his name. And so I had him on the show. So this just kind of shows you where these people are coming from, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the hunters were drawn and then all of a sudden, literally right before it happens. It's and they, and he, and the, and then the judge kind of teased him a little bit for a while because there was a, he, he was considering the injunction or, or stopping it, uh, um, and, and really, um, uh, did so on the eve of the hunt, I think. And so, uh, uh, which is also unfortunate because, you know, that's, these things just don't happen. You just don't show up, right. uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't hop on a plane and, 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 and walk out from, you know, after an hour's drive out of the airport and start your hunt, there's a lot that goes into this. And so it was unfortunate the way it, the way it came down. And again, I, I'm still optimistic that, um, uh, that ultimately the, either the, either the, 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 the idea behind creating the subspecies and determining that subspecies or uh, sub sub portion of the population is a sustainable population is going to prevail. And yeah. that, uh, because, they have too many bears in the Yellowstone area. Oh, you yeah. were talking about the effect of wolves on 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 elk populations and and deer populations. It's the same thing. These the elk populations in some of the western states between between uh, bears and wolves are, are crazy. And back to Newfoundland with the coyotes, they've had a woodland caribou that population that's just plummeted over there. Mm-hmm. And is what is it? It's 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 black bears and it's coyotes now. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. Uh, there's no other excuse for it. And yeah. so what are you going to do? You know, you're you're you, you have no option but to control your predators. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, hunting black bear in Montana last year, first time to Montana. And the uh, the guy I was with, a lifelong Montana outdoorsman, I, like a mountain goat. I couldn't keep up with the guy. 
and uh, I'm going to keep his name off the record, but he, he told me, he's like, when I was a kid, I mean, I've, I'm 40 years old. Yeah. Um, I never saw grizzly bears. I can tell you that I have now killed multiple grizzly bears, and it's not something where I'm comfortable going to Montana fishing game and saying it. It's just it's, that's a common deal here is where you carry you're packing heat when you're going in the back country, whether you're hunting elk or mule deer or whatever. Yeah. And if you come and cross a grizzly and your life is threatened or you feel like it's threatened, you just you know shoot shovel and shut up. Well, think about it, uh, and that's exactly what happens in Namibia with cheetahs. Yeah. you can't you, you can't import cheetahs. You can't hunt cheetahs. Um, uh, but what happens when those cheetahs are eating your cows and your goats? Uh, those I mean, a lot of the ranches over there, and I love Namibia. It's it's as much as it reminds me so much of South Texas, and in fact, the the the, the strain of cattle that does the best in the transition zone between the Namib desert and the, and the Kalahari is the Santa Gertrudis huh. South Texas strain. <laughs> and so, um, uh, uh, it is a, um, uh, it's, it is, it is simply a, um, uh, a matter of, of, um, of managing those, those predators and putting, well, it's, it's back to the whole point of putting value on them. I yeah. mean, if there's, they have no value to those ranchers over there. Fact, they have a negative value. Right. They're going to shoot them or they're going to poison them and they're mm-hmm. going to cover them up. Yeah, so, and that's that's another human wildlife conflict issue that we're dealing with right now. It's a it's a it's a grant program that we support called the Tanzania Lion Illumination Project, where this lady uh, puts uh, strobe lights on the bomas and uh, at night, and and they have different settings so that predators can't get used to them. But they predators it, it it does a pretty effective job of keeping the predators off of those bomas, and 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 away from them, and and. Uh, and the point is, just like with crop predation, their depredation, um, you can't lose 10. If you've got a herd of 20 cows or 50 goats, you can't lose a third of them. You just can't. And yeah. so uh, and so these these efforts to mitigate the human-wildlife conflict is another thing that hunters are actually paying for. Yeah. Um, uh, we started funding this particular project in a big way with her, and she got all kinds of feedback from the people that have been giving her a little bit of money here and there for taking money from a hunting organization. And a lot of them just said, if you're going to take their money, we're not going to give it to you, which shows you where they're where they lie they could yeah. care less about africa's wildlife they want to stop hunting mm-hmm. the the lady that uh, um, that's got the uh, tourist against hunting operation a lady up in canada uh, could care less about africa's wildlife she wants to stop hunting the yeah. people that that uh, criticize us for for giving money to zambezi delta to support their anti-poaching they don't step up and give money to anti-poaching nobody does oh nobody if it's not coming from the government or it's not coming from hunter's dollars. Right. It's not coming. Well, and, and your, your point a little while ago about the effect of and the, and the viability of the anti, I mean, the um, uh, non-consumptive use, the photo safaris, they don't pay for anti-poaching. Yeah, you know, exactly. They don't, you know, they, they, <laughs> just put the money in their pocket. And there's a, there, was a, there was a great study, and I think it was— Which is, the, to, to me, sounds like—it seems more like wildlife exploitation than anything. It is, and it's, it, it's, it's, it all comes—at the end of the day, it all comes back to the same thing. They're—, they're their their goal is not conservation. It's not even preservation. It's to stop hunting, yeah. because because the effect of what they're doing, when 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 Eric Passanisi's closed down Tanganyika Wildlife Safaris in, in Tanzania because he couldn't make money because he no longer could sell him uh, or, or lions and, and elephants because nobody could import them. Um, uh, we did a nice video that documented all the stuff that went away, and it was millions and millions of dollars. A hundred Salu Game Scouts suddenly out of work. Nobody could afford to pay for them. And so uh, that that money doesn't come from non-consumptive uh, ecotourism. Right. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. 
One, one other thing, and, and we've talked about this on the show as we're wrapping things up here, though, is just it doesn't matter what species. You go back to an elephant, which we've been talking about today, or I posted a picture of a giraffe that a guy shot with a bow on, on Facebook uh, yesterday. And the hate from hunters about killing a giraffe blew my mind. It's like, it, to me, it comes down to this. A giraffe, killing a giraffe may not be for you. It might be for me. We both like to hunt. We both like conservation. So what does it matter if I hunt it? You know, if it's not for you, that's great. Right, right. You know, I don't get that. I don't get it at all. A giraffe's life is no sense. more important than a whitetail's or any other animal. And if, and if you're, if you're going to effectively manage any species of game over there, it doesn't matter whether it has a long neck and spots on it or right. whether it's, it's, a, uh, it's a warthog with, 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 uh, with 10-inch tusks on each side. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's the same principle that applies. And, and if you're going to put value on it enough to where – People will pay to go hunt and come over there and 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 give the local. You know, some lady today said, "I don't see any value going to local communities." You know, you're not looking if you don't see that. But if you don't put value on those animals over there, whether it's again a giraffe, an elephant, or a kudu, or an impala, or a warthog, or a bush pig, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's yeah. We, everybody's wasting their time, and we might as well just give up now. And you, but you know, the one consistent thing with all those species you mentioned. They all get eaten. It yeah. doesn't matter what it is. We might think as, you know, uh, Westerners that, oh, eating a giraffe is gross. Yeah. You go over there, I ate a uh, biltong made out of a giraffe. Yeah. It was excellent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It's all meat. And these people, they have a different concept of what our desensitized uh, society has. Of, they do. They fight over the nasty bits, yeah. you know, of the internal organs. Yeah. And, and even, th- like, I love to eat heart. I mean, no, they're going, like, digging deeper for, like, intestines and yeah. kidneys. Yeah. And, and no, I think I told you before, <laughs> I, I watched somebody fight over, um, like, they, they cut the trachea out mm-hmm. of an elam bowl, um, and then they, cut, they, they they took the upper chamber of the stomach and they cut it up into pieces, and two or three different uh, skinners fought over who got the biggest piece of the upper chamber of an elam stomach. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, it all gets used. So. Well, when I was in <clears throat> Mozambique, we, did a, we shot a buffalo and, and did a meat drop over there, and I promise you, that's... That's their protein. That's yeah. all they get. And so, yeah, this idea that that uh, and that's go down another another path here with the with the meat hunter versus the uh, the trophy hunter. And and uh, uh, over there, they are so much more efficient about using game than we are. That uh, I don't have any patience for the meat hunter versus sport hunter <laughs> right. argument. So right, yeah. Well, I'd say, and I and I am proud to say, hey. I'm a trophy hunter. If my family lives off of the game that I shoot, so I, I'm going to shoot the biggest one that walks out because it's going to be the oldest, most mature. And also, I take pride in knowing that I outsmarted right. the guy that has eluded hunters for the last six, seven years. And if you don't eat it, somebody else is going to eat it. Oh, I'm going to eat it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but but if it's a, if, if you happen to be in a place like Africa, yeah, you can't yeah. import it. Somebody's going to eat that. Yeah. The, the, this They're going to fight over it, yeah. like you said. This yeah. idea that that. Uh, that sport hunters go shoot and take a picture and leave an animal in the mountain. It's, it's just, I don't know where, well, I know where exactly where it comes from. It's just not true though. Yeah. 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 Well, Richard, if you want to plug the foundation, uh, maybe tell us the mission statement and then where folks can, can find it. And you bet, you bet. The DSC foundation is the, is the, is the charitable giving and receiving arm of Dallas Safari club. And so we now raise money on behalf of DSC and disperse money we in the, in the form of grants. We've taken over that job for, for Dallas Safari Club. Um, our, our website has a lot of the, the, the information we've actually talked about today, and it mm-hmm. houses a lot of the videos that we've produced, and it's, it's www.dscf.org. 
And if anybody sees anything that they want to support, if they see some of these anti-poaching efforts that we're, that we're doing or some of these human wildlife conflict programs or any of these other conservation programs that we're supporting, then there's an opportunity on that on the website to go to the uh, donate page. And there's a, you, can, you can either donate by credit card or there's information about how you can support us with a check or just letting us know we can take care of it. But um, uh, it's, uh, we give away about a million and a half dollars a year um, towards these conservation projects. And my goal as the new executive director is to double that next year and then double that the year after that and keep on going as long as we can you know that's a lot of money um that is a lot more money when you apply it to third world countries and their economies absolutely we were talking about the money that goes uh that that goes back to pakistan on that hundred thousand and again you multiply it by three because of the hunters but imagine so eighty percent of a hundred thousand dollars obviously eighty thousand dollars two hundred fifty thousand dollars goes back into these local communities that one local community where these these three astor markor were taken that is a ton of money. That that is that's water. That's 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 food rations, and if they have an emergency, that's fuel. That's not where they're not having to, to pick up and cut down every single tree in the area. Um, it's health care. It's education. It's 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 everything we take for granted that we're mm-hmm. here that they're not going to have without that. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure having you in studio. Thanks so much for dropping by, and I look forward to the next time. I really appreciate you and, and appreciate your, what, you, what you do for, for, for hunting and for hunting conservation. Um, it's, it really is remarkable. I've watched, I've watched this show develop for a long, long time, and I couldn't be more impressed, and I'm always happy to help, and uh, you tell me whenever you need me. Well, I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Our good friend and DSC Foundation, Executive Director Richard Cheatham, uh, the website again dscf.org if you want to check that out uh that segment of the show proudly brought to you by rudy's true texas style barbecue want you to save the date saturday april the 20th i believe that is the day before easter it is indeed i'll be at the rudy's in front of the cabela's in allen texas from 10 to noon so uh maybe uh, get out of the turkey woods or get off the lake head on over to rudy's and Get a big old heap and plate of Texas best barbecue. And we'll trade hunting stories and fish tales. And I tell you what, man, I'll have a lot of stuff to give away that day as well. So Lone Star Outdoors show swag out the wazoo, plus some great prizes from our sponsors. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Speaking of sponsors, though, I do want to thank each and every one of them for making this show possible. Thanks to our guests. Uh, Richard Cheatham, as well as Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Let the bad times roll. Roll like the rain on the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico. Let the bad times roll. Just let them all go. Don't like the wind blowing tumbleweeds from Odessa to El Paso Let the bad times roll off your shoulders I know you can roll on brother and don't look back